Section 20 of Mark Twain, A Biography. Part 1, 1900-1907. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography. By Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 231. The Close of a Beautiful Life. In one of his notes near the end of April, Clemens writes that once more, as at Riverdale, he has been excluded from Mrs. Clemens' room except for the briefest moment at a time. But on May 12th, to R. W. Gilder, he reported, For two days now we have not been anxious about Mrs. Clemens, unberufen. After twenty months of bedridden solitude and bodily misery, she all of a sudden ceases to be a pallid, shrunken shadow, and looks bright and young and pretty. She remains what she always was, the most wonderful creature of fortitude, patience, endurance, and recuperative power that ever was. But, ah, dear, it won't last. This fiendish malady will play new treacheries upon her, and I shall go back to my prayers again, unutterable from any pulpit. May 13th, A.M. I have just paid one of my pair of permitted two-minute visits per day to the sick-room, and found what I have learned to expect retrogression. There was a day when she was brought out on the terrace in a wheelchair to see the wonder of the early Italian summer. She had been a prisoner so long that she was almost overcome with the delight of it all, the more so, perhaps, in the feeling that she might so soon be leaving it. It was on Sunday, the 5th of June, that the end came. Clemens and Jean had driven out to make some calls, and had stopped at a villa which promised to fulfill most of the requirements. They came home full of enthusiasm concerning it, and Clemens, in his mind, had decided on the purchase. In the corridor, Clara said, "'She is better today than she has been for three months.' Then quickly, under her breath, unberufen, which the others, too, added hastily, superstitiously. Mrs. Clemens was, in fact, bright and cheerful and anxious to hear all about the new property which was to become their home. She urged him to sit by her during the dinner hour and tell her the details. But once, when the sense of her frailties came upon her, she said they must not mind if she could not go very soon, but be content where they were. He remained from half-past seven until eight, a forbidden privilege, but permitted because she was so animated feeling so well. Their talk was as it had been in the old days, and once, during it, he reproached himself, as he had so often done, and asked forgiveness for the tears he had brought into her life. When he was summoned to go at last, he chided himself for remaining so long, but she said there was no harm, and kissed him, saying, "'You will come back,' and he answered, "'Yes, to say good-night,' meaning at half-past nine, as was the permitted custom." He stood a moment at the door throwing kisses to her, and she returning them, her face bright with smiles. He was so hopeful and happy that it amounted to an exaltation. 
he went to his room at first then he was moved to do a thing which he had seldom done since susy died he went to the piano upstairs and sang the old jubilee songs that susy had liked to hear him sing jean came in presently listening she had not done this before that he could remember he sang swing low sweet chariot and my lord he calls me he noticed jean then and stopped but she asked him to go on mrs clemens in her room heard the distant music and said to her attendant he is singing a good-night carol to me the music ceased presently and then a moment later she asked to be lifted up almost in that instant life slipped away without a sound clemens coming to say good-night saw a little group about her bed clara and jean standing as if dazed he went and bent over and looked into her face surprised that she did not greet him he did not suspect what had happened until he heard one of the daughters ask katie is it true oh katie is it true he realized then that she was gone in his notebook that night he wrote at a quarter past nine this evening she that was the life of my life passed to the relief and the peace of death after twenty-two months of unjust and unearned suffering i first saw her near thirty-seven years ago and now i have looked upon her face for the last time oh so unexpected i was full of remorse for things done and said in these thirty-four years of married life that hurt livy's heart he envied her lying there so free from it all with the great peace upon her face he wrote to howells and to twichell and to mrs crane those nearest and dearest ones to twichell he said how sweet she was in death how young how beautiful how like her dear girlish self of thirty years ago not a gray hair showing this rejuvenescence was noticeable within two hours after her death and when i went down again two thirty it was complete in all that night and all that day she never noticed my caressing hand it seemed strange to howells he recalled the closing scene i bent over her and looked in her face and i think i spoke i was surprised and troubled that she did not notice me then we understood and our hearts broke how poor we are today but how thankful i am that her persecutions are ended i would not call her back if i could today treasured in her worn old testament i found a dear and gentle letter from you dated far rockaway september thirteenth eighteen ninety six about our poor susie's death 
I am tired and old. I wish I were with Livy. And in a few days it would break Livy's heart to see Clara. We excuse ourselves from all the friends that call, though, of course, only intimates come. Intimates, but they are not the old, old friends, the friends of the old, old times when we laughed. Shall we ever laugh again? If I could only see a dog that I knew in the old times and could put my arms around his neck and tell him all, everything, and ease my heart. End of chapter 231 The Close of a Beautiful Life Read by John Greenman, 